You are listening to Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. I love a great story. And in season two, Meet the Environmentalists, I will be having coffee with pioneers, game changers, leaders, and entrepreneurs who are truly making a difference in our world. I hope you can join us each week to hear about their fascinating and inspiring journeys. This is series two. I'm super excited. It's Meet the Environmentalists. Today, I am beyond happy to have my dear friend, businesswoman, entrepreneur, and environmentalist, Veronica Chow, on the show. Veronica is in Hong Kong. Veronica, welcome. Hi, Dee. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, everyone. It's wonderful, wonderful to have you with us. Thank you for joining me today. So, Veronica, you have been in and around and imbued in the fashion industry since forever. Your family have been very prominent in fashion and apparel internationally. You have experience and exposure in the West and in the East. And you have, you know, seen everything from being on a factory floor in China to, I think, one of your earliest jobs, which was doing sales in the States for Tommy Hilfiger. So you've seen every aspect and angle of the industry. And today, um, you are the founder of Everybody and Everyone, an eco-innovative, sustainable brand, Everyday Women's Wear, which is also size inclusive, which you launched in 2019 and use material science and smart design to make items that are um, going to last and which are going to be kind to the planet. And I want to come back to that in detail, but I'd like to just start with all those issues that led you in part to launch everybody and everyone, you know, the big issues around the fashion industry and the environment. So if I just mention a few, and then I would love to have your comment on these, but it's everything from textile dyeing and water contamination, greenhouse gases, carcinogenic uh, chemicals in our waterways, many, many, uh, well, very high percentage of clothes. I think it's over 60%. At least it may even be higher now. You will know, contain fossil fuels and microfibers, polyester every which way, plastic that is not biodegraded will going into our systems as humans and also into marine life. We have 85% or more of clothes ending up in landfills and, you know, de- decomposing after 200 years or, or possibly not even ever. Yeah. And that's not even touching on those other issues around poor working conditions, human rights, and so forth. So, you know, the industry is criticized. Mm-hmm. You decided to do something about it. Tell us, you know, take us back to that point and that place where you were physically and in your mind when you decided to launch everybody and everyone? Yeah, Dee, I think um, you've actually touched on a lot of the issues that we see in fashion, and I think I've experienced it firsthand. Um, And back then, as a teenager, going to my family's factories, we had knitwear and denim factories, and I was asking, why is it so dusty? Where is this colored water going, especially for denim? What is the smell? And back then, it was just the way things were. It wasn't right. even a realization that, oh, this is not the right way. This is not natural. This is not, this might be harmful to our environment. Um, and um, now that, you know, I'm really in sustainability, it's, it's some of the same questions that we're, we're asking um, in right. all the countries. But, you know, seeing it firsthand and feeling uncomfortable in it, and looking at this colored water from dyeing processes and, and it's just, um, we definitely need to find a better way 
to make things. Right. I think we still need to use things. I still need to be clothed. I still want to buy nice things, but we need to find ways to make things so that it doesn't hurt our planet. And we know that, you know, human consumption, we're depleting our planet around 1.7 times of our planet every year. And it's way more than what our planet can provide us. So it's really looking looking for different ways. And then personally, I, one of my first businesses was bringing mass market American brands to China. Mm -hmm. And um, when would that have been? Yeah, that was 2008 to 2015. Um, I was in my 20s and we launched 12 brands in the China market, opening a thousand stores in China, which a thousand stores seems like a lot in the scale of China is not that much. But what that really showed me was one, there was a lot of air pollution when I was living out in China back then. And then the other was just the sheer amount of things and products that I guess the world is still making to this day. But that really are some of my... I guess, earlier experiences that got me to a point where I decided that whatever I do in the future has to be in sustainability. Um, And I had an epiphany moment um, in 2014 when I was um, trucking in Nepal, where I woke up one morning, uh, one in the middle of the night, and I said, you know, it's not just about making more money. I need to have a purpose, and my purpose is sustainability. And so that really put me on a journey to figure out what that means and to learn as much as possible. Um, and I think I'm very lucky because my family are um, also does lots of investments. Mm-hmm. So through them, I got exposed to material science, right. which in material science, um, you know, one of the companies we invested in grows leather in a lab, right. um, which means you don't have to kill a cow. So, you know, the first time hearing about this, I'm like, that sounds like magic. And um, it's really really some of the things that I I think can help solve um, some of the problems that we see. And of course, you know, plastic is a massive, massive issue. We're always looking for alternatives. There are some alternatives on the market. Is it the silver bullet yet? Not quite, but you know, all these alternatives are better than than regular plastic and even recycled plastic as not good it is, it's still better than regular plastic. But I think definitely we're hoping to find as much alternatives as possible and ones that really can do more good than just less bad. So you had that sort of road to Damascus moment and you understood in a really fundamental way because it was it was really also part of your ethos for so many years, but you you were acting on it, I guess, and thinking that is my purpose and I really need to to act as such, you know, and in this much more sustainable way. And and let's also bear in mind, you know, even 10 years ago, people didn't talk about sustainability or didn't even know what it was in the way we do today, right? The world has changed very, very rapidly. When you decided to you know, with all those years, really since you were a child in and around clothing, apparel, manufacturing, sales, and so forth, and everything in between, uh, you know, on a local level and on an international level, how did you go about doing it differently? You know, because it's one thing to say I've launched businesses and et cetera, but, you know, drilling down and looking for new ways, which is what you did, because I, I remember we talked at the time and, you know, you were spending a lot of time researching and really preparing to yeah. do something in a much more innovative way, bringing in science, bringing in technology and bringing in ways which were much more respectful of the planet on which we live. Yeah, there's there's definitely a couple ways. I think I like to split it into, I guess, let's say two main parts. One is the material science things, which I get very, very excited about. And then I the know. other part would be kind of the processes and um, using a lot more, 
even like 3D designs, computers, sending things and not doing things physically. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get into that. But on the material side, I think in our line, we do use recycled plastic bottles. And right. one of the things I've learned in my journey is that, oh, if I do use recycled plastic bottles, because there's still going to be the microfiber, micro um, plastic shedding issue, I would now choose to only use it in things that I don't have to put into the washing machine. So right. if it's a puffer on a bag or on a pair of shoes, then I'm okay using it. But I'm I'm going to try to avoid avoid as much as possible to use it on something like a t-shirt or something that I always put in the washing machine because mm-hmm. these microfibers from polyester clothing comes out. It leaches into our oceans. Our fishes eat it. We eat the fish. It's bad for our health. And so I think, you know, on the recycled plastic side, that's one of the most basic progression for plastic. Um, but then there are now other things that are replacing the use of plastic or some of these newer materials. What are you seeing in that space? Yeah. So in, in our brand, we do have a fermented sugar material made from agricultural waste. Mm-hmm. And that one, it also provides some kind of stretch. And um, it's a bio-based material that provides the stretch. It's not 100% um, bio-based yet, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. And for that particular innovative product, where was the genesis of that? Because I think there are things happening in countries like China, although the world at large may not believe it, where they are using um, food waste, right? Uh, you know, there are even things like, well, obviously bamboo has been used or, or, or things like tea leaves, you know, in creating uh, materials for clothing. Where did you find that um, that science for that product? Yeah, I think that one really, my, my sourcing team kind of came across um, that particular material. Right. And we we actually really like the hand feel. And, um, you know, luckily it's, it became one of our best sellers. But we also use the material in an innovative way because we use it in a pair of trousers that we yeah. call our, a little a lot pant. It's adjustable at the waist and adjustable at the length. So right. if you're like me, sometimes I fluctuate in size or like if I like to wear high heels and flats. I can wear one pair of trousers and um, that would be, you know, I can bring it to travel and and whatnot. And one pair of trousers with three different lengths, um, you know, I don't need to buy extra pair of trousers. So it's both the material side and the design side that we try to think about sustainability. And tell me, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about the design side in a minute, Veronica, but tell me a little bit more about, tell us some of the other innovations in, you know, products where you don't have to, if you get a little spill, you don't necessarily have to put them in the washing machine and clean them, it's self-cleaning, or other products that don't need to be treated in a conventional way, you know, for normal clothing items. Yeah, um, we have some clothes which are antimicrobial, anti-odor. And so, you know, those type of technologies, let's say even three years ago, they would be highly toxic. And now it's developed to a point where it is non-toxic and um, fluorocarbon free. So it's definitely not damaging to our environment or our atmosphere. And with these type of items, washing clothes can be very energy intensive, can be using a lot of water. So, you know, if we can wash less, it's definitely better for the planet. And these clothes that have antimicrobial capabilities have these um, benefits. And actually the company that um, has this technology um, has since very recently came out with something that also, I guess, kills COVID when when it goes on contact. We haven't quite used that yet, but I know there's, there's this type of technology out there. Which is super exciting, right? And it's coming very quickly, right? Yeah. And then in terms of my other brand, which is Karl Lagerfeld, um, mm-hmm. we recently launched, um, I think it was six weeks ago, we launched our first um, sustainable collection with um, cactus leather. 
So right. sustainably and regeneratively grown cactus, then, you know, they harvest the cactus. They don't kill the plant completely. They just harvest parts of the cactus and they right. make it into leather. And um, it's a great material. Again, we don't have to kill cows. I think um, it's um, something that is, um, it's a great development. That's fantastic. And I know you've been involved with Carl Lagerfeld for many years. Um, tell me, in terms of the style component, Obviously, you have exquisite style, and I know that aspect is is very, very important, not just to you, but to creating a brand that will have longevity that people will come back to because, you know, whilst we want to use less and use better, buy less, buy better, and so forth, um, you know, any business needs consumers to keep coming back. You know, you know all about building brand loyalty and so forth. Tell me in relation to, you know, everybody and everyone Whilst you were looking at the sustainability in terms of materials and innovation in a long-term way, what was your thinking? You know, you referenced the pants with the, you know three lengths and so forth. So obviously, you don't need to buy three; you can buy one, or, or uh, and so forth. What else did you reflect on, and what have you brought into the collections in terms of the sustainability angle, uh, style-wise? Yeah, I think first of all, we want to design. We wanted to design things that would last a long time, and that can be for evergreen items in your closet. You know, there's a lot of staples and what we call essential pieces. Mm-hmm. So shirting, and we have some blazers. Of course, our most of our pants are, are some of our best sellers. And a lot of our items, I deliberately made it so that like, let's say a shirt is a little bit longer where you can tie it in the front. Yeah. You can tuck it in for one style, you can do a half tuck, you can tie it in the front. And like we kind of encourage people and our consumers, you know, through our emails and, and some imagery to kind of encourage them to wear their clothes in many different ways. Yeah. And, you know, some are more literal. For example, we have a turtleneck where the neck part can come off and it right. can be a crew neck or a turtleneck. So two in one, better for your wallet, better for the planet. Um, but, you know, you also get um, one item and, and many different ways to style it. And so I think, you know, really playing with the idea of having essentials and pieces that can be worn over and over again. And and I tell my close friends, I, I tell you, D, you know, if we have a event that we want to go to, let's go buy a vintage dress. Let's go rent a dress. Let's go buy second totally. Um, You know, those party items there's lots of great things out there and you know we party items we, sometimes we want to wear at once so those are not the clothes that I'm focusing on I'm really focusing on things that can be repeated you know over the next 10 hopefully 20 30 years a hundred percent and tell us in in relation to you know the Karl Lagerfeld brand what else is happening there because clearly major brands have been scrutinized at close quarters um for their eco or uneco credentials you know a number of houses have been called out and you know we have seen a shift obviously people like Stella have been at it for a very long time but that's not the norm. What is your ethos there and how are you bringing in, you know, whilst respecting the house and, you know, its heritage, but really, um, you know, bringing your eco and sustainable, you know, credentials and principles to bear as well in that business? So with Karl Lagerfeld, I think, you know, we, of course, I guess like most people tackle the lowest hanging fruits first, you know, even changing all the paper we use to FSC certified paper or recycled paper, um, you know, labels and hang tags and even trying to change your hangers. And uh, when we do open stores again, you know, the building materials and and all that to be sustainable. And then some of the easy materials can be replaced. Like I think from going from cotton to organic cotton is, is step one, going from polyester to recycled polyester is another easy step. So these are all yeah. the things we're making. But I think um, with Karl Lagerfeld, 
I really give um, credit to the whole team there because the team themselves, I would say a lot of them are, are young people and they are the ones who are pushing to make these changes. It's um, not just pressure from outside, but it's really coming from within the company. So that's great. But um, another thing that both Carl Lagerfeld and everybody and everyone we do is we use 3D technology to facilitate our design process. Right. So in the past, let's say the brand is sitting in Europe or in America and they you know, communicate to China. They're like, oh, we need to make this outfit. I'll make this, let's say a shirt. Um, there right. might be samples that are shipped between the two countries back and forth up to three or even four samples. And then sometimes it comes in multiples per sample. So that mm-hmm. is a lot of um, things and a lot of wastage. And now a lot of times it can be cut down because there's 3D technology. And if in the 3D technology, I want to change a color or I ever want to do the different size, I can see all that digitally versus having to make a physical sample. So that's one of the examples that, um, you know, companies are, are moving towards to reduce our, our carbon footprint. And what else are you seeing? Uh, because obviously science is moving, you know, at pace. Material science is moving at pace. Biotechnology, which is coming into, you know, uh, lab-grown materials, et cetera, which yeah. you mentioned. What do you see on the horizon that you're, you're looking at to bring in, you know, as either materials or ways of operating sustainably in the business that, that excite you today? Yeah. So I think on the material side, there's also now more and more companies, um, startups, and some of them are scientists at um, universities and labs that are trying to take petroleum-based, fossil fuel-based materials and try to break it down into biomass that doesn't harm the planet. So not breaking it down into microplastics. So there's companies that do that for plastics, one of them in the UK called Polymateria. And same for um, the ligging that we have in everybody and everyone. It is a special fiber that can be broken down when it is in a landfill situation. Right. And they break down into things which are non-toxic to the world. So that those are kind of biotransformations. And I think that's a, one of the new frontiers um, that mm-hmm. I, I definitely see. Um, but in addition to that, I think the most hopeful, hopeful thing that is on my horizon is regenerative agriculture. Right. And everybody and everyone, we use a silk that is regenerative agriculture. And what that is in the past... This whole land would be growing corn. This whole land would be growing wheat. This whole land would be growing rice, for example. And what it does in 10, 15 years, it depletes the soil a lot. That's why we've been using so much fertilizers and it attracts one type of pest. That's why we have to use pesticides and all these unhealthy things. Absolutely. So destructive. Across the board, not just for clothing, but also especially for our food, when farmers implement regenerative agriculture methods, they have to have cover crops, they have to have rotational croppings, they might have to include a little bit of animals. And then what happens is the soil gets much better, the plants grow much more, many different types, much more luscious, it's visually more beautiful, but it then captures more carbon dioxide into the soil. Right. And the farmers, they also make more money because they're not just doing one thing, they have you know, income all throughout the year from many different um, products and produce. And so um, regenerative agriculture really is one thing that, you know, can suck carbon dioxide into the soil and um, reduce the CO2. And I think it's something that is very, very hopeful. And, you know, I'll I'll give a little shout out to one of our friends in London. Her name is Arizona Muse. um, And she um, just launched a charity around regenerative agriculture because I think so many of us in sustainability really see that as hope 
And um, hopefully more of the agriculture and the food industry will, will catch on to this as well. Absolutely. And Veronica, you know, I love the fact that you use the word hope, right? Because I think, you know, often people, you know, rightfully feel we're on a race against time in the environment. But I do think that we have hope that it's not all lost. As you know, as well as me, if not better, there's lots of innovation, even, you know, in technological terms of um, uh, special high-tech equipment that can scan the base of the sea, can, um, you know, pick up plastic. There's lots of things going on. Uh, That's a very, very important, but one small example of stuff that is happening that the world at large isn't necessarily knowledgeable about, doesn't really know it's happening. There are lots of initiatives and lots of individuals, lots of organizations, you know, making a shift. Tell me, what what are you most hopeful about in this space with what you see and what is your biggest concern today as well? Yeah, um, I think, you know, on the technology side, I've also invested in um, some other companies outside of fashion. Um, one of them is um, carbon capture technology where it's basically big um, fans where, you know, air goes through and they are able to capture carbon dioxide in, yeah. in and make it into jet fuel. Funnily enough, there's another company which also turns things into jet fuel, but they turn municipal waste, our everyday trash that we throw away, and they take that and turn it into jet fuel with 80% carbon dioxide. Reduction. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that company's called Waste Fuel. And, you know, these... There's so many more of these type of technologies. There's new companies that are doing renewable energy, hydrogen, and whatnot. Um, and I think these are all, all very exciting. I think the there's a couple of fears. One is we don't change fast enough. We don't mm-hmm. adopt these new technologies fast enough. I think the other part is, you know, there are system issues in our world where some of the big companies, oil companies particularly, are lobbying Mm -hmm. for different things with governments and and things don't move fast enough and things get hindered or, yeah, so, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure putting on us as individuals to make small little changes on our everyday life, which I think is absolutely important, you know to use as little single-use plastic in our day-to-day life. is oh, 100%. I couldn't agree more. The companies and the big corporations have to also make it easy for us. And they have to take responsibility as well. The largest 100 companies in the world make up a massive portion of the carbon emissions of this planet. And they need to be held accountable. I couldn't agree more. I also think that, you know, if someone goes into a shop, they're going to buy what's in that shop right? They're going to buy a pair of trainers or they're going to buy a bag or they're going to buy, you know, some food, which is probably in a plastic, you know, packaging. And it's up to those that lead and those that direct to facilitate a different way of operating. You know, you can't expect people not to buy plastic if they go into a supermarket, if you have plastic in your supermarket. Yeah. Um, you know, a dear friend of mine whom you know, Shan Sutherland, you know, is who is um, co-founder of A Plastic Planet, talks about this. You know, you, ne- you need to create an environment, right? So some years ago, she and her wonderful partner, Frederica Magnuson, went uh, on a pioneering journey to create a plastic-free aisle in a supermarket. So if there's no plastic in it, you won't buy plastic, right? So I'm totally with you. I also think, unfortunately, you know, we all have to do 
our bit as individuals. You know, we, we have to do that because it's the right thing to do. We have to show our children and our friends and our families that that is how we live. It's not just some facile sort of story that we come out with. It's it's really we act on our you know desire to do better and support the universe, the, the world, and to be a, more sustainable in how we live our lives. But that on its own isn't enough. It's got to take place at a very very on a very big scale, shall we say, both nationally and internationally. Definitely, yeah. I I, I really think that you know I'm so lucky to be in a developed country and live a very convenient life. But then of course that comes at a high cost to our environment. And I would love for more people in this world to live a lifestyle of a developed country. I want people to be lifted out of poverty as well. But we need to make sure that our technology and all that catches up so that everyone can have a good life um, without sacrificing our convenience. And I think that technology can help us achieve that where um, it can prevent the earth and our environment from going to a worse place while bringing more people to have a better life. Yeah, I think we can achieve it. It's just that we have to work hard to get there. Absolutely. And we have to work together. So just going back a little bit, um, Veronica, you know, you've lived, you know, a very international life with very diverse experiences and, you know, both culturally and even in the professional experiences that you've had, they've been in different countries and, and in different contexts. Where did your interest in fashion start? You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure there was a choice, not that your parents were insisting you be in fashion, but it was really what you grew up with. Where did that start? And what were the biggest influences, you know, if you look back either culturally or, uh, you know, from the environments or the place that you lived in and worked in yeah. that you've brought to bear in, you know, how you run your business today and, and how you live life more broadly? Yeah, so my father, I guess my father, my grandfather has been in the fashion business, but it's really my mother who was a fashion designer, I guess, before I was born, um, that gave me the influence um, in terms of the fashion and the stylistic side of things. And, you know, I think she also brings a practicality to my work currently because, you know, all my clothes have big pockets. Um, you know, <laughs> if we do a dress, if we do a skirt, of course, our pants, we have I would say the biggest pockets on the market. Um, <laughs> and um, and that's part of, because of my mom, like she's a very practical person. Like if yeah. you know, when I was a kid taking me shopping, she'd be like, oh, you know, this design, why, why isn't it done this way where it might have an improvement or like, you know, even adjustability and things like that. So I think my so mom was a big, big influence to me from a style and practicality standpoint. Yeah. And if you look back on your, career to date and I mean you have so packed a lot in and you know there's much to come no question um what was the biggest learning for you you know I sometimes think the worst moments are the best because you realize who you are what you're made of what you can do that you have fortitude and resilience and determination and can just keep going or give it another go um but what would you point to as the sort of learning experiences that you took with you in everything you do yeah I think um Oh, I'm still learning, honestly. Um, and, you know, there's yeah, we always... We never stop, right? Yeah, we never stop. We never stop. I think I spend a lot of time learning about sustainability. I never went to school to study it. Um, but it became an interest, I think, and a curiosity. And I learned a lot from that. But in terms of like business and running a business, I think um, one of the important things is to get good people around whether as mentors, but also within the company. And it's all about getting the right people together. I couldn't agree more. 
And, um, you know, I think people can make magic and, and getting the right mix of people is very important. But also, you know, especially with COVID, I think a lot of us have learned, oh, it's okay to pivot. It's okay to change. It's okay to, you know, even downsize or change direction. And that that's happened to me a little bit. I was planning to open two stores in New York. This was right before COVID hit. You know, I had to pull out from the contracts and, um, you know, kind of change course in terms of where the where I was, how I was growing the brand. How did that feel at the time? Because obviously you launched, I think, Q3, 4 of 2019, right? Yeah. And then we find ourselves in this extraordinary um, environment as such. Yeah. How did it feel when you had to just make that business decision to, to pull? I was just, honestly, I was a little bit just reacting because I, yeah. I guess I'm lucky I saw what happened in, in Hong Kong and in Asia. I'm like, you know, these Truth. stores are not going to open. So I was luckily one of the first ones to pull out from our locations in, in New York. But the other thing is pre-COVID, our work pants was definitely the bestseller. Um, and then with COVID, no one was going to work. And <laughs> luckily we had some loungewear, which kind of um, was the core part of our business for a couple of months. And then we made replenishment for those loungewear. And, uh, you know, I'm really lucky to have those loungewear. But now coming out of COVID, those very, very casual pieces, I'm not sure if that's something I want to keep in my my brand. Um, right. I want to maybe have a little clearer focus than doing all those products as well. So, and there's still some things which are being, you know, d- decided on, you know, I think internally in the company, we're debating, how are people going to go to the office? Like what kind of clothes will we be wearing? Um, right. You know, or are people, you know, is it going to be like the 1920s where people want to be extravagant and flamboyant and like flappers and like, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, go all out for their party stuff? Um, you know, again, party is not a, a type of stuff that we're, we're going to be designing, but, you know, th- those are the, the unknowns um, we have. And I think um, I think we just want to be structured in a way where we can react and we can pivot or change when we need to and um, adapt to the times. Totally. And I think, I mean, and that's what all great entrepreneurs of which you're one do, you know, you, you pivot quickly because it's it's all about timing, isn't it? And yes. it is interesting. We don't really know. I mean, on one hand, to your point, you know, people were living uh, in a way where they didn't have to dress, they didn't have to put shoes on, you know. I mean, yeah. I spoke to someone the other day, she's literally for two months, she didn't wear shoes. Um, oh uh, she would walk into her garden and walk back to her desk. <laughs> um, oh and like putting on even trainers after that period was, was slightly traumatic. But I think there, you know, we don't quite know whether people will want to dress up every day or whether clothes that are softer, looser you know less constraining uh etc will be the, the new norm and and you know when will we know i think it's just a process right and anticipating yeah. as far as one possibly can yeah so tell me veronica if we're sitting here today and looking out over the next two to three years where would you like the business to be oh um i think i'd love my business to keep growing like we're really early stages right now but i think there's still so much potential i definitely want to have more breakthrough in terms of material science. And I do see a lot of that. And that's the one of the frustrating or and exciting things, which is there's so much more technologies which are still in labs and it's about to be commercialized. So I think in the next two to three years, not just for everybody and everyone, but for a lot of brands, there will be a lot of new materials and science scientific breakthroughs. Um, so definitely, you know, utilizing more of that. And the brand yeah. just being um, growing and I think representing, having an opportunity for us to, dress people who are making a change, to dress people who are getting together to make the world a better place. 
Absolutely. Well, that is that's a beautiful goal. And Veronica, it's been so wonderful to chat today. And I, I have one question for you, which I ask all my guests, which is, and you know how mad I am about coffee. So if you were to have coffee with anyone, past or present, who would that be and why? Am I allowed to ask someone in the future? I of actually, course. I love that. I love that. Anyone in the future, like, um, give us more insight. What can we do now? How can we prevent disasters? What can we do to change? Like, right. you know, I think we need, we need more answers. Um, we have some already, but we need more. Um, so I really want to ask the future. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, look, Veronica, thank you so much for joining me today and for joining all of us. And thank you for sharing. And I'm super excited for the next stage. And I'm super excited to see you soon too. Great. Thank you so much, Dee. Thank you for joining me on Double Espresso with Dee. I hope you enjoyed this episode and can subscribe and share these fascinating stories. 